channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on March 31st, 2023, and is current through the Star Trek Picard episode Dominion. Yes, I got the name of the episode right this week. Thank you to the seven people who pointed out to me that I called the bounty, the breach, like four times in last week's episode. So beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. Get ready for a change to the intro. There are six television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is the co-host of the Debrief Weekly Report. It's Steph Girk. Steph, welcome to Weekly Track. Greetings. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Steph. Well, I ask my guests this question every week. I want to know something that's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Oh, this week I have started getting into the Star Trek novels. And okay. Right now, yeah, I'm one of those few people of the world. And... I'm reading the relaunch of the Star Trek Enterprise novels. Aha, uh-huh. which one are you on? I'm on The Good That Men Do by Andy Mangelis and Michael A. Martin. Yes. So it's the sequel to the end of the Star Trek Enterprise series in book form. It sure is. Hashtag trip lives. <laughs> trip lives. And it's honestly <laughs> the best thing. And his writing in, in the book is so good and so on point. Yeah. It's very exciting to have the gang all back together again. And I think. Enterprise is a stronger concept in book form. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm also a huge book person. Okay. And I've read all of the Enterprise relaunch novels. They start off very good with the good that men mm-hmm. do. Andy and Michael were a better writing duo than they were separately. And at some point, I think Andy like moves on to do other stuff. Right. So like when it switches over to just Michael, the books take a little bit of a dip. But then Christopher mm-hmm. L. Bennett takes over after the Romulan War, and it's like the foundation of the Federation. And those are very good. Those are very good books again. So you have lots of fun stuff in front of you. I also really like in The Good That Men Do that the framing story is Jake the reporter and Nog <laughs> the Starfleet officer talking yes. about like Section 31's dirty laundry having come out because you know it's been exposed and revealed as being i guess you know it's not a secret organization in canon anymore but like (laughs) it was back then Mm -hmm. and yeah it's like a reverse these are the voyages it is and i have to say that i'm in love with trip a little bit (laughs) (laughs) you're not the only one (laughs) okay because i wasn't really expecting that i like watched the show and i was really sad when trip died at the end of enterprise and now that he's back i'm like oh i really love him as a character now yeah, it's a, for anybody who like, you know, watched the show, got to the end of these are the voyages and felt that, you know, poisonous bitter taste in your mouth about the death of Trip. Mm-hmm. Pick up a copy of The Good That Men Do, read it, and it will just serve as a a balm for all of those feelings about that episode. I'm glad you told me though that the books do continue to be good because I did buy like 10 of the Enterprise novels without having read a single one. So I'm in it now. <laughs> That's awesome. So so you're like, I'm starting off with Star Trek novels, and you went straight to Enterprise, or or were there other ones that you were interested in too? No, I I am interested in the other ones, but I figure I have to start with the beginning of the Federation. Of I'm course. going in timeline order, so I'm stuck with Enterprise for now. And so I don't know how much you know about it, but do you know that like for the sort of time in between when Enterprise went off the air and Discovery came back on, that like at least the 24th century novels sort of told their own version of events for how things happened after the TV series, which is now totally incompatible with the TV series, but is very fun in its own right. Yes, I did. And I'm looking forward to getting to that point because it's going to be really interesting. All right, let me tell you what I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week. And because it's such a big news story week, like I didn't even have a chance to fit this in, but I just wanted to say how great was it and how surprising was it that Tuvok 
was at the start of this week's episode. Or oh, I mean, I guess it, you know, it turns out it technically wasn't Tuvok. It was a changeling yeah. impersonating Tuvok. But like, but still, Tim Ross was playing Tuvok. He came back. We got, we got one of them. I mean, we got someone from Voyager back. Yeah. And, you know, like, even though it was not Tuvok, you can still tell a lot about his appearance, right? Like, he's a captain in Starfleet, uh, you know, still very connected to things. I still got the impression he was Starfleet intelligence. They didn't say that out loud, but mm-hmm. I, you know, it was just sort of my supposition based off of the way the conversation went. He doesn't seem like someone who would also just give up the Starfleet intelligence life. Like, it's, exactly. it suits Vulcans very yeah. well. Yeah, he didn't strike me as being, like, captain of an explorer ship. Yeah, no. Not Tuvok. So that was, and like, and the way they set it up, you know, with the, the episode opens, and they're in the Chintoka scrapyard also, you know, like, just, mm, chef's kiss. And then mm-hmm. the shot is of Seven sitting in the captain's chair, and she's talking to someone on the view screen, and then you get the voice, and it's like, no, it isn't. And then mm-hmm. it pans around, and it's like, hell yes, it is is loved it such a good moment and honestly they could keep pulling out every moment like that with an old cast member and the the chills would continue and then like you know one of my favorite things is also so i love i love tim russ's performance as tuvok but then i also loved any time he got to play a little bit dangerous Mm -hmm. so then you know it's revealed that he's a changeling so then it becomes like dangerous tuvok and i love dangerous tuvok (laughs) all right well with that let's turn to the week's top stories there's a war going on and i'm a reporter well paramount global have announced the next star trek tv series to join the lineup of shows that started with star trek discovery in 2017 that being star trek starfleet academy beginning production next year in 2024 starfleet academy finally makes real a concept that has been discussed by various iterations of star trek franchise leadership for decades according to the news release Star Trek Starfleet Academy will introduce us to a young group of cadets who come together to pursue a common dream of hope and optimism. Under the watchful and demanding eyes of their instructors, they will discover what it takes to become Starfleet officers as they navigate blossoming friendships, explosive rivalries, first loves, and a new enemy that threatens both the Academy and the Federation itself. Because it wouldn't be a modern Star Trek show without a threat to the Federation itself. Starfleet Academy will be led by co-showrunners Alex Kurtzman and Noga Landau, who is best known for running Tom Swift and Nancy Drew for The CW and The Magicians for Sci-Fi. The two showrunners released a joint statement which reads, quote, Admission is now open to Starfleet Academy. Explore the galaxy, captain your destiny. For the first time in over a century, our campus will be reopened to admit individuals a minimum of 16 Earth years or species equivalent who dream of exceeding their physical, mental, and spiritual limits, who value friendship, camaraderie, honor, and devotion to a cause greater than themselves. The coursework will be rigorous, the instructors amongst the brightest lights in their respective fields, and those accepted will live and study side by side with the most diverse population of students ever admitted. Today we encourage all who share our dreams, goals, and values to join a new generation of visionary cadets as they take their first steps towards a bright future for all. Apply today, ex astris scientia. And while Paramount has given no further information about the show, such as its setting, time period, or casting, it is possible to theorize from the line hailing the reopening of the Academy campus for, quote, the first time in a century from the showrun announcement that it will be set in the 32nd century around the time of Star Trek Discovery's current setting. Remember, in season four, they made a big deal about reopening the Academy for the first time in a long time. At the end of season four, Earth rejoins the Federation. I think we could be seeing the reopening of Starfleet Academy on Earth for the first time since the Federation collapsed after the burn. In addition to the announcement, Star Trek Lower Deck star Tawny Newsom, who voices Beckett Mariner on the show, announced on Twitter that she is part of the writer's room for Starfleet Academy. Tawny is a huge Star Trek fan, and so that's a definite positive point in the show's favor for me. Steph, what was your reaction to the announcement of Star Trek Starfleet Academy? Well, immediately I was surprised because it's not the show that I thought they would officially announce. I really thought Section 31 was going to finally have its official announcement, yep. and then maybe even an air date. But in this case, to have Starfleet Academy given an announcement, I'm very excited, but I'm cautious because yeah. we can go see W-type show mm-hmm. where it's just a bunch of teens running, corny teens running around, not really doing much in terms of the ideals of Trek that we know and love, or it could be something amazing, handing it off to a younger generation again. But it's hard to say what exactly we're going to get with such little information, but I'm 
ever hopeful. I do have a question for you though. Yes. Actually, it's a two-part question. Yes, go for it. First question, do you think they're going to keep Starfleet Academy on Earth or do you think they're going to move it? uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the second part of the question? The second part of the question is, do you think we're going to get a Starfleet Academy that is full of students, like hundreds and hundreds of students? Or do you think it's going to be more like a group activity of they have six Starfleet Academy students and that's it? Yeah, those are both great questions, right? I mean, I think the answer is sort of dictated a little bit by time period, right? Like if this were a 25th century Starfleet Academy show, I would say the answer would be that maybe it would be more earthbound and that it would be right like large groups of cadets because that's what it's been established to be. But what we know about the 32nd century Starfleet Academy, if that is where it ultimately ends up, and I think that clue in the announcement really strongly kind of pushes that way. You know, there have been rumors for a while I was very skeptical about the idea of Starfleet Academy being in the 32nd century, but I heard some things from some people that told me, yep, you know, maybe that probably is where it's going to be before the announcement happened. And so I do feel pretty, like, confident in saying I I think this is going to be, you know, a Star Trek Discovery quote-unquote sequel. And so, yeah, like, it could be either. I mean, I, I kind of want it to be a more planet-bound show for a couple of reasons. One, Star Trek's never really done that before and even though there's an element of like well if it's mostly a planet-bound show is it even star trek anymore like i think there's a good debate you could have about that but i mean that same debate could be done with deep space nine right exactly station bound show but they were still able to implement all the star trek ideals there exactly yeah and it's also like and, and maybe this is, you know, I love Star Trek Picard season three, but like they have not filmed a single second of footage outside of a soundstage, right? Like it does feel very mm-hmm. claustrophobic. And so maybe I'm just sort of bouncing off of that and saying, God, I'd love a show where they filmed it outdoors, right? Like actually outside again. <laughs> yeah. With a sky above them. I think they're going to have to not film in Toronto then if that's their plan to be an outdoor show. Because it's so gloomy. It's so gloomy. You as the Canadian are allowed to say that. I am not allowed <laughs> to say that. Yeah. I think they should come to the West Coast in, in British Columbia where we have so many different types of diverse ecological grounds to film on as opposed to just the toronto landscape they do have a lot of like funky sci-fi type buildings in toronto though but they also do have those in vancouver so yep yeah plenty of options uh yeah like i think what i want is a show that's set on a planet and that is like that the academy is more than just the characters who are in the show Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's another reason for that too which is like it's clear that there has been some conversation about what is the differentiation between Starfleet Academy and Star Trek Prodigy. I think Aaron Waltke from the Prodigy writers team said on Twitter in the last couple of days that like, because, you know, you sort of read the Starfleet Academy announcement and you're like, hold on a second, like, doesn't this feel a little bit like what Prodigy's trying to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. they are literally sort of cadets in training on that show, and the next season's going to be about them learning how to be Starfleet officers. So it's like, what, sort of, what is that differentiation there? And and he sort of said, listen, we all talk, right? Like, we're not, we're not sort of doing this in silos, so yeah, sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? Like, there will be big differences between the two. And and if you ask me based off of that, what would I want those differences to be? I think I would like Starfleet Academy to be more of a planet-bound show that has forays off into space rather than, right, like they're on a training ship and like it's a ship that flies around and and sort of is a traditional Star Trek show, but now is a traditional Star Trek show with horny teenagers rather than with, you know, kids, which is the prodigy version. Yeah, I'd be more into a planet-based show if the planet wasn't Earth-like. Yeah, although... The planet was more alien in nature. Yeah, I I agree with you on that, except to say that it could be Earth and it could be very alien in nature, given the setting, right? Like, yes. like unfortunately, I, I feel like they might not be sort of brave enough to do this, but, like, what I would really like would be for them to fully embrace the fact that it's 32nd century, it's an Earth-bound show, and show us what life on Earth is like 1,200 years in the future, right? And just go real sci-fi with it. Real sci-fi, lots of aliens too. Like, I want Starfleet Academy to be full of aliens. I don't want 90% of the students to be humans. Yeah. 
Right. Especially given that setting and that time period, right? Yeah. Like, you know, that's supposed to be the most diverse, evolved sort of point and time that we've reached. And it like the show should sort of reflect that. Yeah. And it's like you would think humans would have evolved as well to look a little different and to be a little different, especially right. taking into account the environment and history. So how do you feel about it being in the Discovery time frame? I'm happy with that. I actually started to enjoy Discovery a lot more when it jumped timelines yeah when it went ahead to the future because it opened up the realm of possibility for so many different kind of stories that we didn't quite haven't had a chance to fully explore in the other star treks and the whole you know the ship is named discovery it was kind of about time that they went to discover new things and so i'm ready for a show a spin-off show that continues that narrative and i think it's just about time yeah i certainly think it's about time for the star for the academy show i have mixed feelings about the decision to put it in the 32nd century which is less about me having anything against that time period yeah. particularly and more about a sense of missed opportunity around i think a 25th century starfleet academy show would have been really interesting given the way that you could have brought in legacy actors and had them kind of interact with the cadets and you know like replicated some of that sort of yeah. Janeway proto-star crew dynamic that you had in Prodigy in live action and you're not going to get that in the Discovery time period I mean we still might there's a chance there's a chance, right? What, what is, you know, everybody was excited about the idea that the Doctor from Living Witness is still around. Yeah, so you exactly. know, bring in Bob Picardo. Yeah, he'll be so ready to do it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he will. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he still might show up in Picard season three. Yeah, I'm still waiting for him. I'm just waiting for anyone to show up in Star Trek Picard <laughs> season three. Yeah, so it's like. Uh, these initial stories right after a show is announced are always the hardest because they give us like no information about it. I remember yeah. two years ago when they gave us, they, they announced Star Trek Prodigy, they gave us like one sentence, right? A group of unruly mm -hmm. teens finds a starship and heads off to find mission, yeah. meaning, and adventure or whatever it was, right? Like, and we had to do a whole kind of discussion, sort of like picking that apart and figuring out what it would ultimately mean. And here it's like, yeah, they've told us there's a Starfleet Academy show, but they haven't really told us anything about no, that's true. the Starfleet Academy show. So, you know, there's lots of details still to find out. I, I am yeah. really excited that Tony Newsom's going to be in the writer's room oh she's so clever and so funny yeah yeah she'll bring such charm to whatever she does i'm sure right and that's my sense of the kind of starfleet academy show i would like is one that has a bit of a light touch to it you know yeah just maybe a little bit lower decks type humor but right. also the serious mixed in with the seriousness of a star trek legacy show but you know i have to say this I really hope it's a cast-heavy show, like it's a big cast. It's not focusing on one or two characters and that we really get a sense of a bunch of students. Yeah, I like that sort of ensemble, right? Like, especially for an academy, you know, you know, think about your own sort of social experiences, right? When you're in high school or college, right? You had your mm -hmm. close friends and then you had acquaintances and then you had people you hardly knew and then there are people in the, year, the grades above or below, right? Like, yeah. And Star Trek's always been at its strongest when it focuses on the ensemble as opposed to just one character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I guess the last thing I'll say about Starfleet Academy at this stage is I, I am also sort of conscious, I feel like I have to be humble enough to do this, that where Prodigy was not made for me, you know, I, I sort mm -hmm. of sense that maybe Starfleet Academy is not being made for me too, right? That doesn't mean that I won't enjoy it in the same way that yeah. I love Prodigy, right? Like I love yeah. Prodigy so much, but it's also not made for me and it's okay if it hits a point where I'm like, you know what, this isn't made for me and I don't like it anymore. More, right like I, yeah. it does sort of feel you know with the decision to hire a showrunner who cut her teeth on cw type shows that like yep. they aren't making it for me 35 year old you know white man who was around for watching the next generation deep space nine and voyager as a kid you know when it was first on that they're probably making it for an 18 to 22 demographic of potential Star Trek fans who are in the sort of Star Trek Discovery fan vein, right? Like, you know, early to mid to late 20s for whom this was their first Star Trek show experience. That was an on-ramp to doing other things. And like that sort of philosophy of, if you just make shows for me, 
you're ultimately just making shows for me. If you make shows for other people too, you're expanding the base of fans overall of the franchise and setting it up for longevity to come. So it's like... Exactly. It feels like this show in live action more than any other, I sort of look at and say, well, I want to have really mixed feelings about this. I want to kind of pick at it and I want to kind of point fingers at it. But it's like, I have to be humble enough to recognize that not everything within this franchise is necessarily for me under all circumstances and at all times and this might be one of those things and like it's okay for there to eventually be a star trek product that comes along where i say this is not for me but i'm glad that it exists exactly and i and i have the same viewpoint with anytime we have a new star trek show comic book whatever it is it's like it's fine that it's not for me it's better that it's not for me because at the end of the day maybe it'll be a gateway to someone else to get into the star trek universe and the more star trek fans there are the better i think it is for all of us just because of the lessons that star trek teaches us and so if we can get more people on board like even the jj abrams movie i was you know it's as a original star trek original series fan that i grew up with watching those shows i actually enjoyed the movies which i know is generally pretty controversial for most people but i thought i'm like they're fun yeah they're not star trek at its heart but it got people interested in the original series the other shows and it was that gateway that got them into it exploring everything else and eventually led the way to them becoming hardcore trekkies and i was like absolutely if that's all that starfleet academy does is get more people into star trek to further the next generation of fans then that's that's awesome in my books well and star trek starfleet academy isn't the only big news this week we also learned that star trek strange new worlds has been officially renewed for a third season and the second season premiere date has been set for Thursday, June 15th. In addition, Star Trek Lower Decks has been renewed for a fifth season, with the fourth season scheduled to begin airing in late summer of this year. And the first half of Star Trek Prodigy's second season has also been confirmed for later this year after Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, though no third season renewal for that show has been announced at this time. That means we are now set for 2023 Star Trek. We will get 40 episodes of Star Trek this year, down from the 50 episodes in 2022, with Star Trek Picard Season 3 Strange New World Season 2, Lower Deck Season 4, and the first half of Prodigy Season 2, all scheduled for the remainder of this year. In addition, global Star Trek fans have some additional good news. When Strange New World Season 2 starts airing in the US on Thursday, June 15th, it will also air internationally on Paramount Plus on the same day, Thursday, June 15th. No more Thursday for the US, Friday for the rest of the world for original Paramount Plus content with an outside distribution deal, it seems. I expect the same will be true of Star Trek Discovery Season 5 when it airs early next year, and Starfleet Academy after that. Steph, are you excited for the year ahead that we have for new Star Trek? I'm very excited. I didn't, you know, I never did the math. I never realized it was 40 episodes we're getting this year, and it was 50 last year. That is so exciting. It's a lot of episodes. It's a lot of episodes, it's a lot of new content, and that's only the shows itself. So that is just absolutely thrilling. And even though it's a little scary thinking ahead to 2024, where who knows what how many episodes we'll get then, it still is very exciting. I feel like my year is made, and I'm excited to see all the stories they're going to tell us. Yeah, this is what I have sort of been hoping for for a couple of months now, right? Like, plan out my year ahead. Because, it, yep. you know, we obviously we knew Star Trek Picard was going to be beginning in February, it runs through March and into April. But then it was just like, okay, and then there'll be other seasons that come after. And now it's like, all right, I know what's going to happen, right? Picard season three will go off the air April the 20th, I think, is the yep. day of the finale. Then we will have about a six-week break. Then June the 15th, Strange New Worlds Season 2 is going to premiere. Yeah. I will say this. I don't think Strange New Worlds Season 3 was a surprise because I believe it yes. already started filming. And and I know it's been around for a while. Just being a Canadian in the industry that we knew Season 3 was coming. It just it's, it's kind of weird how it took them this long to officially announce it. So my sort of sense of it is that because there are so many shows going all at once, they have been sort of like trying to be careful about not having one star trek show step on the toes of the other right Right. so like for the first five weeks of picard it was blackout everything else 
And then once you were sort of over the hump of Picard season three, right, and it you were going to get as much press attention out of it as you possibly could have, then it's Discovery's cancelled, season two of Strangely Worlds premieres in June, there's a season three coming. But yeah, like, it sounds like if they're not already in Toronto, they're like very, very close to everyone being there, and they'll be filming now, you know, through the remainder of the spring and into the summer, which is also exciting because... You know, as an East Coast fan, last year they did a uh, premiere for Strange New Worlds in New York because they were filming season two and New York's easier to get to than Los Angeles. And uh, right. I'm kind of hoping if they do a premiere event again this year, it'll also be in New York again because they should be in Toronto in the middle of filming season three. Um, I think the premiere should be held in Toronto. That's just my <laughs> biased opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but, Sorry, why, yeah, why is yeah, New perhaps. York the center of yes. this world? <laughs> <Perhaps>. <laughs> yes, I should have thought before I spoke there to my <laughs> yeah. Canadian guest for the week. Um, <laughs> what about Lower Decks? You a big Lower Decks fan? I am. I have... I'm the type of person that watches Lower Decks and then rewatches this like three or four times yep. just to kind of get an idea of every single Easter egg that is in that show yep. because they're so good at whether it's a background scene or a side prop or just like a character reference. They throw them around like it's glitter and you just <laughs> never know what you're going to get. And so I love Lower Decks for that. And, and, and the humor aspect, which I never expected to enjoy a comedic lower deck, a comedic Star Trek show. So it's it's a night. It was a pleasant surprise for me, and now I'm deep, deep into the lower decks fandom. Yeah, and going off the new philosophy that was imparted from my guest last week, Sam Nelson, who was like, five is the new seven, right? Like. Five yes. seasons of a current Star Trek show is a successful Star Trek show in the same way that seven seasons was a successful Star Trek show back during the 90s. Lower Decks has hit its five, right? Like, successful Star Trek show through and through. If yeah. five ends up being the last or six or seven or however long it runs for, right? Like, I just have this sort of, like, feeling that they're going to fall into, like, a every show gets up to five, right? And maybe that's true for yeah. Lower Decks as well. We'll see what happens. But, like, hey, if five ends up being... If five ends up being the last season of Lower Decks, well, then it hit five. Same as Discovery, right? Like, that is a successful Star Trek show. And that, in some ways... And I've said this before, but like it's worth returning to. Sort of has no business being a successful Star Trek show, right? Given that animated adult comedy that sort of plays off of jokes around deep Star Trek lore, like it that feels like it's a very niche proposition for most people. And so to get to five seasons is a really, really terrific achievement for that show, yeah, in my opinion. They definitely should be proud of themselves for what they've done. But also, I don't want it to end at five. I'm like, yes, I sure. feel like with how short the seasons are, the setting that they're in where they're literally like, it's a perfect setup to be just a show that follows after big Star Trek events and kind of just coexists without breaking any of the rules because it's the Lower Decks crew. They could go on for another five seasons easy without ever yes. stepping on any toes of the big live action shows. Oh, and I yeah. want to see it succeed and go on for so long because it's so good. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm like, I'm ready for any of the shows to go well past five, right? Like, yeah. as far past five as they possibly can is what I want, especially for Lower Decks. I think Lower Decks and Prodigy are two shows that I want to get over 50 episodes for. Absolutely. Yes. I want at least 100. I want them to hit that 100 mark. Yep, absolutely. And we can celebrate with uh, badgy cakes. <laughs> yeah, right. So, okay, so Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy this year, and mm -hmm. then Discovery, Strange New Worlds 3, Lower Decks 5, Prodigy back half of Season 2. Yeah. I think we're going to get another season of Prodigy. I think it's too early to call it, even though it didn't get a renewal date. I think just because of the way that they're airing it, the first half of the season and then the last half of the next season next year, I think it'll get another season. That's my hope. I would really like it too. I think there's yeah. a lot more stories that they could tell in that setting. Right. And and we need a show for a younger audience, for kids, because it, yeah. it's perfect for them. Right. It's such right. a great setup. Like it's kid friendly, but also is interesting. It's new. It's exciting. Even as an adult, it's one of those, like if I had to rewatch a kid show a million times over, I'd rather be Prodigy than, no offense, like Peppa Pig or Paw Patrol. Yeah, right. And the great thing about, you know, kid shows is that 
hey, you know, there there's always a new crop of kids coming up right behind them, right, to sort of experience, yeah. you know, these stories again for the first time and be wowed and dazzled by them. And I mean, I'm wowed and dazzled by them, and I'm not a kid anymore. Yeah, and just what they've been able to pull off in Prodigy as well, like that whole sequence with the holodeck with Janeway and and Uhura. Yep, and Spock Kobayashi. And, and the, yeah, Kobayashi, that episode was so good. And almost made me cry just a little bit. Yeah, just um, wonderful, wonderful storytelling. I really, really liked yeah. it. It was surreal hearing the voices of all those characters and seeing them in animated form and having them brought back for a moment like that. Yeah, just it really, really nice, especially the Spock stuff, right? Hearing Leonard yeah. Nimoy's voice again. Couldn't Ugh. ask for better. Well, while it's easy to get caught up in all the excitement about legacy characters in Star Trek Picard Season 3, there are a number of exciting new characters who have joined the franchise this season. Not least, Sidney LaForge, as played by Ashley Sharp Chestnut. Ryan Britt from Inverse had the opportunity to interview Sharp Chestnut about the LaForge character, her connection to an iconic Star Trek character in Geordie LaForge, and the blossoming romance with Ed Spilliers is Jack Crusher. I feel like their relationship is more meta in the sense that we are the kids of these iconic characters, Chestnut says about La Crush, the name that is quickly being adopted for fans shipping La Forge and Crusher. Sydney's trying to come out of her dad's shadow and be her own kind of woman, and Jack is finally figuring out his father. Figuring that out behind the scenes was a journey in and of itself. Chestnut also talked about how she asked showrunner Terry Metalis for the character's hair change mid-season after La Forge's run-in with her dead changeling doppelganger. Just seeing myself laying down as a dead body, that was nuts, Chestnut said. Sydney sees her dead body, she doesn't want to see that again, so I wanted to do a hair change. I talked to Terry and asked him if Sydney could change her hair in response to this, and he was like, yes. And Chestnut is hopeful for a future appearance as LaForge in a spin-off from Picard Season 3. I kept my com badge, Chestnut said. I tried to keep my uniform, but CBS and Paramount were like, no, please give that back. I hope we get our own spin-off. If the fans really love us, maybe it will happen. Steph, are you enjoying the character of Sydney LaForge. I love her so much. I think she's adorable from the moment where she was standing on the bridge just giving Picard that overeager smile. I was like, you're adorable. I love you. And even though you know she's her her moment with with Jordy not too long ago where she discussed about how she kept crashing those ships so she could spend time with her dad repairing them. Yep. She's been given an opportunity that not a lot of characters have in that the sense that she's been able to forge her own path away from her family, and she's been given amazing character moments written for her in the show. So I have thoroughly been enjoying her as a character. Personally, I'm not a fan of the crush, but that is just because I think <laughs> Sydney is too good to be pairing up with with another guy right now. I'm like, no, just let her have her own path free of romance. Let her figure out her career, her daddy issues. Also, they're in a crisis right now. There is no time for romance. She's a professional. He needs to stay in his own lane. As much as I enjoy Jack, Jack needs to just back off. He needs to follow Geordie's instructions. Exactly. <laughs> of all of the characters from this season, I think Sydney LaForge is the character that has surprised me the most in the sense that, like most bridge officers for most of the Star Trek shows in modern Star Trek who aren't in the main titles, I'm always a little bit like, okay, well, we'll get to know your name and maybe we'll learn a particular fact about you. But like, like I don't think your character is necessarily going to have that much of a of an arc, right? And even though she had the famous name and the famous father, I was like, hey, yeah, I mean, I sort of, you know, sort of like the the helmsman of the ship, right? We'll probably get to know her about as well as we get to know Detmer on Star Trek Discovery, the helmsman of that ship. And so I really like the fact that, like, no, you know, Sydney LaForge is definitely another of those characters, like Liam Shaw, like Jack Crusher, who are new characters in the season where they are like, nope, this is a character. We want this character to have an arc, right? This is an important character to the story that's taking place. And I really love that, right, from the relationship with... Seven through to the reaction to, you know, seeing the changeling version of herself to the sort of, you know, conversation, the honest conversation with her father in last week's not episode called The Breach, like I said last week, but episode called The Bounty. And uh, and then this week, yeah, right, like, sure, like the romance stuff in a, a fraught moment like that is maybe a little 
sort of, you know, TV, but it's still like, for me, it's fun. Uh, yeah. Even though I think she, I think I probably agree. She is probably too good for Jack Crusher. Cause he does seem like, you know, a real sort of cad, but yeah, she's a fun character. And I think, I think Ashley does a really good job with the role, right? Like you, you know, very, very extremely sort of like likable performance. And it's difficult, I think, to be acting alongside like all of these other people who have much longer careers, who are legends in their own right in terms of, right, like you have the TNG stars on a TNG show who've done this for, you know, 30 years at this point. Anybody who can hold their own alongside them is worthy of meritorious consideration. And Ashley Sharp Chestnut, Sydney the Forge is certainly one of those. She is. And I do want to point out something in her article where she mentions that I she kept her com badge and she I tried to keep my uniform, but CBS and Paramount were like, no, please give that back. (laughs) As in, she had stolen it. Yes. Had had it already within her home or wherever, and she had to return it. And I'm like, (laughs) bless you, Ashley. (laughs) You knew what you wanted. You went for it. It was only until they said you had to return it that you gave the uniform back. Apparently, she's not the only one. I was reading uh, this week, uh, they, uh, Terry Metalis has been doing an interview each week with uh, Maggie Lovett over at Collider about each week's episodes. And I've, a few of the those articles I've done as like stories on the show didn't have space for this week's one about Dominion. But I was reading it earlier, and Maggie was asking Terry about the jackets, right? The like the leather jackets that Ooh, yeah. uh, Riker's been wearing his all season. I think Rafi was wearing one at one point. And then uh, in the last episode, both Shaw and Seven are wearing them too. And Terry said in the interview that like all of the actors loved those jackets so much that they tried, they all tried to steal them at the end of the show. <laughs> right? They all sort of took them home, and he he said right like that the studio had basically gone around door to door and been like, no, you have to give that back. And so they'd all have to give them <laughs> back again. So what you're saying is they need to be smarter thieves. Yes, yes, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, maybe don't go for the leather jacket. Maybe go for the combat or something. But at the end of the day, I mean, these these costumes are fitted specifically to these people. And yes. then they're just going to sit in a warehouse somewhere. And you know they have a million copies of that same outfit scenes so it's like why not just let one go yeah right exactly yes i'm with you because the only other place it's going to go is it's going to get auctioned for ten thousand dollars to somebody with too much money and not enough sense exactly and lastly this week super seven have announced their latest wave of 3.75 inch action figures a line of four figures of TNG characters in Sherlock Holmes attire from the episode Elementary Dear Data. The line features Data as Sherlock Holmes, LaForge as John Watson, and with Picard and Worf wearing the Victorian-era costumes they donned in the episode. The figures can be ordered from most major online retailers and are expected to be available very soon. The figures will cost approximately $20 each, depending on the retailer you order from. I'm really hoping that to complete the set, there'll be a Professor Moriarty, a Dr. Pulaski in the Victorian attire from Elementary Dear Data, and then to really go deep, a Countess Regina Bartholomew from mm. uh, Ship in a Bottle. Steph, are you much of a Star Trek merchandise collector? I mean, I don't want to be, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a For classic the sake answer. Of my- bank account i don't want to be but i somehow <laughs> have found myself with star trek action figures in my house yeah playmates playmates they did a line of deep space nine characters i have a bunch of those i have yep. random ass klingons around my house just watching me i don't know what to do with them all but they're, <laughs> they're i own them <laughs> and what about these elementary dear data figures i mean i don't know how i feel about these ones just because i as a completionist a collector, it kind of bothers me that they haven't finished the whole cast yeah, there's no before Mariasa, yeah. they released an individual oh, sure. character. Because yes. yes. like Tasha's not there, Q's yeah. not there. Like there are so many recurring characters I kind of wish they had done before they went to a specific episode line. Because I want all the individual characters if I'm gonna collect them. Or I want the episode specific ones. Don't worry, Steph, they did do an armus, so like that one is already crossed <laughs> off the list before we okay. get to the episodic ones. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, I personally, they like soft announced these a year ago. There were like listings on some retailers and there were no product pictures, but it was just like, you know, Star Trek reaction, elementary data, data, LaForge. And I ordered them when that happened because I was like, that's cool. 
unusual. I am at a point in my collecting cycle where I'm like a bit less of a completist, a bit more of like, I like unusual stuff. And so these like scratch that itch for me. Nobody, right? Like Playmates made 300 Star Trek action figures, but they never did elementary dear data. I assume because the Arthur Conan Doyle estate at that point in time before right. Holmes fell out of copyright was extremely litigious. But now it's public domain. But now it's public domain. So Super Seven's like, yeah, fine. Like we'll we'll do it, right? But if they're gonna do if they're gonna start doing episodes, I want the Robin Hood one next. Oh yeah, that's a cool idea. I like that. Yeah, they should yeah. do that next. Everyone just in their merry men outfits, please. Yeah. Yep. Cause they did a fistful of playmates did a fistful of daters. They yep. did, they, you know, in the in the sort of Western outfits. And then there've been other like they did the Dixon Hill stuff too. So yeah, I like I I really like them doing the elementary today stuff. I would really love them to do a Moriarty because Moriarty is one of my favorite Star Trek like quote unquote villains. Hmm. So yeah, I'm buying all four of these and I'm going to take them out of the packaging. And I bought a uh, uh, somebody on eBay sells like a little diorama which is sort of the it's it's a cardboard like the holodeck walls. And the oh, doors. Wow. So I'll set that up. And then you've got the four figures who are in their sort of holodeck attire. So that'll look really good. You're going to have to send me a picture of this. I'm really invested now in how this will look. Oh, yes. That's definitely going up on Twitter. Excellent. All right. Well, we've talked about the facts. And now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guests and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Steph, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. My wish for, it will always be my wish, is that we're going to have a Deep Space Nine reunion on Picard before the end. Or at least have a couple of characters show up. Yep. Because I think it's time that Deep Space Nine got some love. Like, you know, we had Tim Russ. This week, we have Seven of Nine, who's amazing from Voyager. Janeway's running around on Prodigy. So I'm ready for Deep Space Nine to get some love. And that is my big wish because it was such an amazing crew of characters, such an awesome, strong ensemble. And they're still floating around. And it's the Dominion Wars. It's the Changelings. Where's Bashir showing up being like, let me tell you all the science about the Changelings. This is a way we can defeat them. And, you know, with some, we're unlikely to get Cisco back, but there's still the rest of the crew. Like O'Brien could be come back as well. So I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for Deep Space Nine to just show up out of the blue. So after Tuvok showed up in this week's episode, it made me me more convinced than ever about two things in the remaining three episodes. One, that Kate Mulgrew is going to show up as Janeway. <gasps> because if you, I, I was I was just re-watching Dominion earlier today, and like Seven asks, you know, have you talked to Admiral Janeway recently? And then and Tuvok has like three or four lines about like, no, not really. I think she's so wrapped up in the planning for Frontier Day, so integral to Frontier Day. And, like, the Changeling's plan is to do with the Frontier Day celebration. And, and so they've name-dropped like, her a couple times And they've name-dropped her, already. like, three times this season already. So it's just, like, I know Terry Metalis has said he was asked, I think, before the season came out. Because he's sort of said, yes, there are legacy characters this season, you know, sort of a lot, right? Going back months and months and months. And I think someone said, you know, well, what about Janeway? And his answer to that was, oh, well, Janeway's in Prodigy, right? And so, right. you know, like sort of saying definitively, no, Janeway was not going to be in the season. But watching the season, I'm like, I don't know, this, the hints feel too strong to me. So that's number yeah. one. But connected directly to your wish for Deep Space Nine characters, seeing Tuvok this week made me more convinced than ever that there will be a Deep Space Nine character before the end of the season. And Terry himself has said they're not done with with the legacy character appearances. And I have heard a rumor that there is, uh, I, I don't know who, but I've heard a rumor that there's there's one more for sure coming. And yeah, so... Like, I feel like it would feel really weird to me and intentional in a way that it can't possibly be intentional if they've chosen a Deep Space Nine story element to structure the season around. If you're making a celebration of the Berman era of Star Trek, you're going to the extent of having more Voyager characters show up than just seven, and you don't have any Deep Space Nine characters show up at all, right? Like, that just, that doesn't feel like I get to the end of 10 episodes 
And like the show has then done what they kind of said they were going to do, right, in terms of having it be that big celebration. So I don't know which Deep Space Nine character it is, but I feel more confident than ever. And we got a waning number of episodes left, right? Eight, nine. I know we're running out of time. (laughs) Yeah. But I just, I just feel like there's at least one more big legacy character coming and that a Deep Space Nine character is high up on the list. I mean, before the season, my predictions were Roe, Janeway, and Kira. And one of those came true. I think one of those is going to come true. And the last one, I'm like, it doesn't have to be Kira. I'd love it to be Kira, but... I think it's going to be Quark. (laughs) You think it's going to be Quark? You think I'm going to put the makeup back on? I I think so. I think it'll just be purely for chaotic reasons. I love that. So for me, if you ask me, I would say it's either Kira, Bashir, or Dax. Those are my three. Oh, Dax, yeah. All right, let me tell you my theory. So... Uh, first contact day is next week. And in addition to them doing a season two trailer for Strange Worlds, which for me is an absolute for sure thing that's going to happen next week. I think the fact they announced a Starfleet Academy show this week means there is another show announcement coming next week. You said up front, Steph, you thought that you were surprised that they'd announced Starfleet Academy before they announced Section 31. I think that next week on First Contact Day, they're going to announce Section 31. I also think they're going to announce it not as a season but as a potential shorter form project, right? Like maybe a one season or a mini series. The reason I say that is because there's just been a lot of chatter in the press about the possibility that like, yeah, Section 31's alive, but like not in the sort of, you know, sort of traditional show format that they originally announced it for back like three, four years ago when they announced it the first time. And I have a little bit of extra evidence for that, which is, you know, sort of Alex Kurtzman himself. There was a story on Trek movie. I forget where the original interview appeared, but it was a story about Alex Kurtzman's comments on, you know, it was like, after Discovery, do Star Trek fans still have stuff to look forward to, right? Or are you in the sort of shutting down period of Star Trek franchise? And he was like, absolutely not. There's loads to look forward to. We've got new show announcements coming, right? Well, Starfleet Academy, check. And he also kind of said, like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some, like, shorter form stuff, right? Like miniseries or yeah. miniseries that focus on individual characters. So I'm going to thread that statement together with the new show announcement statement with just it just feels like there's this big expectation with michelle yao having won an oscar that if they're ever going to announce a section 31 show and get a level of interest and attention on it like now is the time but i'm also going to tell you what i think the section 31 show is going to be about this is where i'm getting really kind of you know sort of diving into the sort of theory side of things okay so i'm ready for it I think a Section 31 miniseries is going to be announced next week. I think that Section 31 miniseries is going to be a crossover with Strange New Worlds for a couple of reasons. Yes. So, like, so in Discovery, they said Giorgio can't stay in the 32nd century because the mirror universe and the prime timeline are too far apart. She has to go back in time, right? And so she stepped through the Guardian of Forever and went back in time to a point that was not revealed in that show. Yeah. So she could go anywhere, right? And, like, deep down, where do I want her to end up? I want her to end up in the Enterprise era, and I I want the Romulan War and the good that men do to be adapted into a, you know, like, TV show... Um, but now with Giorgio and like sort of like continuing on the Enterprise stories. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think she's going back to the 25th century. I think they just did the 25th century. I think if they're going to do the 25th century, it's going to be in its own show. It's not going to be a Michelle Yao vehicle. I think the only place she ends up going back to is pretty much where she came from. The other reason I think that is because I'm sure she's very expensive, right? Like, I'm sure she's more expensive now having won an Oscar than she was two, three years ago. And I think if you're going to do a mini series, you probably don't build a whole new set of sets and props and costumes in order to do the show right you're probably looking as much as possible to use stuff off the shelf well right like you can't use the discovery sets because you left the discovery time period so why don't you use the strangely world sets which are also in toronto you got plenty of props you got plenty of costumes and what you could do right like it it doesn't have to be sort of like a i'm not saying she's going to be in like strangely world season three or anything but you could have one or two of the characters from strangely worlds meet up with Giorgio, and they have a Giorgio section 31 adventure that takes place completely independently from strangely world season two or three uses some of those enterprise sets right the sort of 23rd century stuff and it's like okay Giorgio ends up back in that time period and you know and whatever adventure they're going to have happens from there that gets you 
a miniseries with Michelle Yao without having to make a bunch of new stuff. And it's another crossover because you're crossing over, you know, characters from different shows, right? In this case, you know, they are crossing over characters from Strange Worlds who may also have been in Discovery, right? If it's Pike or Spark. Back with George O, so you get that sort of little bit of like a Discovery Season 2 reunion happening. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think the Section 31 project is going to be. What do you think about that? I hadn't actually thought about it really hard. I was thinking the Section 31 show was a little dead in the water so I kind of had written it off in my mind sure yeah me too and as much as I still want to see it I'm, I'm kind of dead in the water but I think financially like it makes the most sense I think you you have some really good points there about the sets and the actors and the show in Toronto so I think it's very likely that way and I agree with the miniseries aspect but I'm not entirely sold on it though because if you're gonna have Michelle Yeoh you're gonna want to do something extra special with her character and so i think they would just stick her in a whole new era i think they're going to stick her in you know some some point of space and time that we hadn't haven't seen a character before do a miniseries and do a have have a section 31 and just michelle yo going nuts on a planet doing espionage i mean that would be fun yeah it just seems the most likely though just because of of how you know cost effective it would be in story wise because they wouldn't want I don't see them writing a game-changing show, something that changes the universe of Trek again. I can see them doing like a very safe Section 31 at its greatest in terms of not being a thing that much that many of the people the Federation are aware of, because that's arguably when Section 31 was most effective is when people didn't know about it. But now everyone kind of does. Yeah. I mean, I said on Twitter this week, I my sort of feeling is that I would like the Section 31 project. Like, I love Michelle Yao. Thrilled to see her back in Star Trek again. If it's a Section 31 project, so be it. I would also like whatever the Section 31 project to be, to be the swan song for the concept. It does feel like it has sort of stuck around a little longer than maybe it should, right? Like, yeah. let's have a great, morally unambiguous depiction of Section 31 and its utility in this universe have something you know sort of like clear to say about the ends not justifying the means and Mm -hmm. then wrap the concept entirely and have that be the end of its journey which started in deep space nine and ran through the kelvin timeline movies and through discovery and even has references this week in picard popped up in lower decks and it's just like enough enough section 31 and you know what michelle yo's character is the perfect person to do it because we will root for her no matter what so she's the perfect vehicle of a character to do that with yeah right you have a theory or a wish for discovery picard strange worlds lower decks or prodigy that you'd like to share tweet them to me at weekly trek or email them to me at weekly trek at the tricorder transmissions.com and i might feature your theory in a future episode well that's all the time we've got for this episode of weekly trek thank you so much to my guest steph girk for joining me today Steph, how could people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? I am on pretty much every social media platform that currently exists at Steph Girk. So if you want to find me there, chat to me about Star Trek or just anything nerdy, please talk to me there. My weekly podcast, The Debrief Weekly Report, drops science and tech news on a weekly basis covering what's new and exciting in the world. So you can take also a listen to me there. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Steph. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. 